You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. God, we thank you for what a, what a great God you are and how that you are at work uh, providentially, even Father, when we don't understand. And Father, we thank you for how you've blessed us as a church. You've blessed us financially as, as Jamie has shared. And Father, that doesn't mean there's not been challenges, but Father, you continue to provide at the right time. And we give you thanks for that because we know all good gifts come from you, Lord. And Father, we pray now that you'll open up our hearts as we open your word. And I pray, Father, as, as we look at a very fundamental teaching of the Bible. I pray that you'll grant me the wisdom and I pray that your spirit will work through me in such a way to make that which is very simple. I don't want to make it complicated, Lord, but I want to make it clear. I want to make it very personal. And I pray that you'll grant me the wisdom and ability to do that during this time. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, throughout this series of messages entitled Fusion, we've been looking at the power of the combined efforts of family and church coming together to make a difference in the next generation. We've also been looking each week at a theme passage to deepen our understanding of God's will and this partnership between church and families. The passage we've looked at is found actually in the Old Testament, written to the people of Israel, but we see the parallel today to God's people in the church. Uh, but in Deuteronomy 6, we've read it every week from the NIV, but I wanted to read it this week from the New Living Translation. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, we read these words Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Three weeks ago when we kicked off this message here, as we talked about this charge, here in the NLT it reads, Hear, O Israel. Uh, excuse me, listen, O Israel. But in the NIV, it reads, hear, O Israel. How that this was a call to all of the people of God and that it truly, we talked about during that first week of this series, it truly does take a village to raise children. Two weeks ago, we discussed the end goal of the, the church and Christian families to raise up a generation of fully devoted followers of Jesus. And then last week, we talked about the importance of fighting for the heart. We talked about the importance of fighting for our own hearts to serve God, but also how that we're called to fight for the hearts of our children. Now, we specifically challenged everyone last week to be praying for children, to be praying for the students in our church, for parents to be praying for their children, for grandparents to be praying for their grandchildren, that, that they will grow up to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the question that I want to ask you this weekend is, how did you do? Did you take that challenge to heart? 
You know, about three weeks ago, we had uh, on the walls, walking down to the children's area, these little note cards, okay? And we had a child or student's name and what grade they were in. And uh, we had 220 cards up on the wall. And we encourage everybody to take a card or two. I hope you, like me, like I've been praying for these people on a daily basis, I hope you've been doing that as well as we pray for our children here at Southwest. And we also, though, challenged parents not only uh, to pray uh, for their children, but we encouraged them to pray with their children. We talked about how that for some that might be a little awkward. I know, I know. for example, for my wife and I, when we uh, first got married, it was a little awkward as we prayed together, but we worked through that. Then we got busy, you know, in those early child years and even when our kids got into teenagers, and honestly, we got away from the practice. But then a number of years ago, we recommitted ourselves to praying together every night before we go to bed. And, and that's been such a blessing to our marriage. And, but it was a little awkward when we started that spiritual discipline. Now, some of you, if you're not in the habit of praying with your children, it might be a little awkward, especially if they're teenagers and you bring up the subject of prayer and they roll their eyes. I know I've been there, okay? But, but it's something to work through. It's worth working through to strengthen that bond to pray over our kids, and to pray with them. How have you done? Have you committed to that? Are you fighting for the heart of your children? Maybe you don't have children. Maybe you're like me, you're an empty nester. Maybe they're living in a different state or a different region of the nation or a different part of the world. That doesn't mean that you can't still be a part of this prayer focus. In fact, we've talked about the last several weeks that we're, we're in the midst of this Pray For Me campaign. And we've uh, invited all the families that have children at home to sign up so that there could be some prayer champions to come alongside them and to pray for them as a family. And we've invited those of you that are willing to be a prayer champion to sign up. And for those that sign up, they're going to get one of these books next weekend. We're going to make these available. In fact, we're going to have a special, uh, uh, special evening next Sunday evening at 630. You can read about that in the bulletin where these books will be passed out to all the prayer champions. We're going to get the prayer champions uh, connected with the families so that they can pray in person for them and let these parents and children know, hey, I'm praying for you. But the good thing about this book is it's got daily prayer, so you can just insert the name of the child or the family and be praying for them. So I want to encourage you, if you've not yet signed up, make sure you do so today before you leave. It's out there in the lobby uh, in the welcome. You see, we really want to take seriously this charge of raising up a next generation and here all doing our part to make a difference in the lives of children and students. And yet, this weekend, our focus is to make this charge from Deuteronomy very personal. I shared with you last week that this was going to be an important message for everyone, whether they're parents or not parents, and that's true, because we're going to talk about before we can pass on to the next generation to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we've got to make sure that we first are doing that. And so, the question 
for you this weekend. The question for me as I prepared for this message, are we obeying this passage found in Deuteronomy 6? And are we taking to heart and making it personal what Jesus had to say as he retaught this teaching? In fact, in Mark chapter 12, you can read about it. We're going to see how Jesus makes this very, very personal. In Mark 12, verse 28, uh, there's been this debating going on between Jesus and some of the religious leaders of his day, and that's the, the context of this conversation. In Mark 12, 28, we pick up the reading. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate, the debate between Jesus and the religious leaders. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel. Does that sound familiar? He's citing Deuteronomy 6. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. It's fascinating to me how Jesus took this extremely well-known passage, the Jewish people recited it twice every day, and he reapplied it to those who wanted to follow him in a very personal way. He began with the first person, our Father in heaven, our Lord God. And then in the next verse, he switches to the second person, you. So there's a challenge here. And I hope we hear that challenge this weekend. And the question is to each of us, are you loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, to demonstrate the authority that the Son of God had, he added to this command. And in, the, in Deuteronomy, it didn't have the, the, the challenge to love God with our mind, and yet Jesus added that as the Son of God. He has every right to do that. But let's talk about what does it mean in a very personal way to love this God that we worship in Jesus Christ? Well, let's Let's break it down and look at each aspect of it. First of all, love God with all your heart, with all your heart. To prepare for this message, I went back, and, and my Bible geek really came out of me, okay? So I, I thought, okay, I really want to examine this. I'd never done this before. I don't know why, but, but I went back, and I looked at Deuteronomy, and the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, and I looked at Mark 12, Jesus' retelling of it, and, and the New Testament was originally written in Greek, so I got out, you know, some Greek and Hebrew helps, and I looked up each of these phrases because I thought, if I'm commanded to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I want to make sure I know what that means. You know, it's easy to say, but do I really understand what that means? So, let's, let's dig into it. What does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart? Well, as I looked up this word, I found that the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew word for heart carries this concept of our inner being, our will, our mind. Every bit of our being, even including the sectors of our emotions. Interestingly enough, when you look at the Greek in Mark chapter 12, the word is cardia. Does that sound like a word we use in the English language? Kind of like cardiac, cardiologist, cardiology. It's the study of the heart. So here's the question 
for me and the question for you. Do you love the Lord your God with a passionate heart of devotion? Now, that's not describing a a dry, stale religion where you're simply going through the emotions, but instead it includes emotion. It includes a passionate love for and an intense desire to serve the God we worship. This is the type of heartfelt devotion that the early church leaders wanted to instill in those first Christians. The Apostle Paul sought to cultivate this heart in the people that he influenced. So we're going to look at a church that Paul wrote to. It's the church in Ephesus. And it's interesting enough, I think this is an important context, that later in the book of Revelation, Jesus would address the church in Ephesus. And interesting enough, this was the church that Jesus challenged that they were going through the motions, but they had fallen from their first love. Let's read how Paul challenged him in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Do you see that? The very core of our being, the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I love reading the prayers of Paul and in the letters that he wrote, because I think we can learn a great deal about how to pray when we read how other followers of Jesus, some of those first followers prayed. You know, we tend to pray about stuff. We tend to pray about sickness and physical needs and jobs and job searches and uh, selling houses, and all those things are important. You know, God's Word says to pray about everything. So I'm not minimizing that. But one of the things I love about the Apostle Paul's prayers is he didn't just talk about the, the surface stuff. He talked about the deeper things of the heart. He says, I really want to make sure Christ dwells in your heart. I want to make sure that you're not just going through the motions, but that you serve God with every bit of of your inner being. Paul says, that's the kind of heart that I want you to have. That's the kind of love for the Lord I want you to have in your heart. In three weeks from this weekend, in fact, actually 19 days from today, We're going to begin our 20th, celebrating our 20th anniversary as a church. We began as a church on October 5th, 1997. And so uh, that entire weekend of October 6th through 8th, we're going to be celebrating our 20 years as a church, praising God for what he's done in the past and celebrating that together. On Friday, uh, October 6th, we're going to have a special concert out here in our front lawn, and uh, we're going to get a tent, and we're going to have a barbecue. And and I know that Friday nights, maybe you got other things, but maybe uh, some of you got that time. We want to invite as many of you to come out Friday night, just have a, a time together as a church family celebrating what God's done in the life of the church, and we want to encourage you to be a part of that. And then during the course of that weekend, we're going to have some special uh, things that we've been planning. I'm really excited about, but I don't want to spill all the beans yet. Uh, but just uh, want you to mark that weekend in the calendar so that you can be here and participate. Each of the weekend worship gatherings that weekend, uh, we're going to really 
view it as a vision weekend. In fact, we're going to uh, unveil a vision statement that we've been working on behind the scenes. Uh, And we have been working on a vision statement that we hope will be compelling because we want it to grab us at our very inner being. We want to be motivated from our heart to serve God. Yes, we want to celebrate what God's done in our first 20 years as a church But you know what? We're looking forward to even a brighter future. And so we want to renew our vision as a church of what God's called us to be, a people of God to serve him with all of our hearts. Now, here's the question I want to ask you as I ask myself. Do you really love the Lord your God with all your heart? Is it just going through the motions or is there some emotion? Secondly, Jesus said, love the Lord with all your soul. Now, soul is one of those words that's kind of difficult to define. What what does he mean here? So I looked up the original words, the Hebrew and Greek, and I found that the Greek word is the word that we get our English word, psyche. So this word gets at our feelings, our desires, our passions, our appetites, our emotions, our affections. As I mentioned earlier, we read the challenge of the church in Ephesus that Jesus would later challenge that they had fallen from their first love. In fact, when we find somebody that we love romantically with our passions, emotions, and affections, sometimes we even call that person our soulmate. You see, to love someone with heart and soul communicates yet another dimension of this love. As I think about my soulmate, my wonderful wife, Jane, this has been a difficult week for her. Some of you know this, but uh, my wife's 91-year-old dad uh, had a real tough, bad turn and, and passed away on Thursday evening. And so it's been a difficult week for my wife and our entire family. Jane lost her mom 20 months ago, and and now to lose both parents in a 20-month window is is tough. Some of you have experienced that before. You know that's a really difficult thing. And so I would would appreciate you praying for my wife. If you saw me during that final worship song, um, texting, you might have thought, well, Roger's not got his heart in worship, but I just, you know, before I got up here to speak, I just texted my wife. I love you, because I know today's a tough day for her, and uh, this entire week's going to be tough. The funeral's on Thursday morning, and so I'm going to be going out of town later today to be with her and to spend time with her, and so I appreciate your prayers for her. You know, as I've been driving back and forth from Bloomington, Indiana, and by the way, you really can't get to our hometown, where Jane and I are both from Bloomington. You really can't get there from here. You have to take all these state roads and it takes over three hours. I got there Thursday in two hours and 50 minutes. I think it was a record for me. But, uh, but you know, it's just um, as I've had that time on the road driving back and forth and spending with her and her family during this difficult time, it's given me a lot of time to think, to pray, and to reminisce. It's hit me that I've been a part of this family 
unofficially or officially for a long time. I first met Jane's dad in the summer of 1980. And by the way, anytime I mention these kind of dates, you know, usually our ministry staff reminds me they weren't even born then, and I just tell them to shut up, okay? So, (laughs) but anyways, um, uh, in 1980, I walked up to Tom O'Daniel's house to take out his daughter on our very first date. And as I've reflected on that, I've felt a lot of emotion in my heart. I've thought back to that first date with Jane, and, and I'm not saying that it was love at first sight, but it was at least love after the second or third date. And I was pretty uh, smitten that first date. And as I think back to my first love for my wife, and by the way, um, I don't know how you mark your spouse in your cell phone. I, I knew a guy one time that every time his wife called, it went, do-do-do-do. And I thought, ooh, once I get to say about how you feel about your wife, but I've got the picture of my wife in her wedding dress that pops up every time she calls me or texts me. Because I never want to forget that first love. And I want to continue to kindle that and capture that in our relationship. And I think back to when Jane and I first started dating and fell in love. I mean, I, I wrote her cards and notes. I wrote her poetry. I was a math major. It wasn't good poetry, okay? It was bad poetry. But I mean, when you're in love and when you, when you give some, some yourself heart and soul to someone... You really pour it all out there. That's the way God calls us to love him. The apostle Paul used that kind of soul language to describe his love for the early Christians in the Corinth church. And in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. Not only did he care for their souls, he felt a heartfelt concern for them, caring for their entire welfare, their entire psyche, if you will, as followers of Jesus. He would also bear his soul to them in his desire to help them grow. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, he says, my power works best in weakness, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. You see, when you talk about loving someone with your soul, it means being vulnerable even at times and often bearing your soul. Now, I want to talk two practical ways that we can love God with our heart and soul. One is, I think it's so important, we talk about this often, but to get involved in a small group. I want to urge you this weekend, next weekend, sign up for a fall small group because it's in the small group atmosphere that you can hear others talk about their relationship with Christ. You can hear others bearing their soul of challenges, victories, experiences of what it means to be a Jesus follower. I I think I've learned so much from listening to others talk about their relationship with Christ. And and then that's where real growth takes place. I'm convinced of it. The other aspect that I want to talk about this loving God with your whole soul 
is when it comes to parents, understanding that to really, to really be those godly parents, it's, it's soul work. It's bearing your soul to God, but it's also allowing yourself to be vulnerable even at times with your children that you're trying to impress these important things of. I mentioned last week, but I, we've, our staff has read from this book, Think Orange by Reggie Joyner. And I wanted just to read with you a, a few sections from that book because he talks about parents really leaning into this idea of loving God with your soul to influence your children. He says, kids already have a front row seat to the parents' lives. The question is, what are they watching? Is it just a show or is it a real-life adventure where they see courage and passion to overcome, overcome personal obstacles? Parents must show them what it's like to pursue a better relationship with God. This is where it gets personal, you see. He goes on to say, kids need to see their parents struggle with answers, face their weaknesses, deal with real problems, admit their wrong, fight for their marriage, resolve personal conflict. One of the things I love about being in small groups is you realize that we're not always strong and, and that there's growth that comes when you're willing to be open about that. I think sometimes as parents, we, we shortchange our kids the experience of seeing how we deal with adversity, how we deal with challenges by not being more open with them. And I know that they can't handle everything maybe that we're going through, but I think it's good to open up that window a little bit and talk about how we're growing in our understanding of God and maybe some challenges we face and how we look to God for strength. He goes on to say, children need to see their parents make relational, emotional, and spiritual growth a priority. If parents don't make it personal, it may never be personal for their kids. You see, if we want our kids to make this stuff personal, we got to start with us. Parents, do you see, do your children see you struggle with your own heart, your own faith? Are you inviting them into this journey of loving God with all of your soul? Thirdly, Jesus inserted a phrase that wasn't in the Deuteronomy passage. It says, love the Lord God with all your mind. The word Jesus used means, the word he uses here for mind means thought, intention, reflection, and purpose. Now, there's two other English words that I want to mention in just a moment, but let's first lean into this idea of thought and reflection. I ask myself, and I want to ask you, are, are you loving the Lord with your thought life? In the second letter to the Corinthians, we read this challenge, and it's a whole section about uh, taking captive our thoughts. But at, at the very end of this section in verse 5, in the easy-to-read version, it reads, we also capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. Are you allowing thoughts of anger, resentment, bitterness, lust, jealousy, envy, selfish ambition to win the day? Or are you taking captive every thought and making sure that you're loving the Lord with your thought life, with your mind? A second word that comes to mind with, uh, with this word mind is our intellect. You know, as I look around this room, I, I see some pretty intellectual people. 
I know many of you are doing very well in your field of study. You've got degrees, you've, you continue to research and study, and you give yourself to that. That's great. You're using your talents. That's awesome. But here's the question. Are you, am I, are you utilizing your intellect to serve the Lord? Or are you just using your intellect to further your career? Now, that's great. But are you also using your intellect to serve the Lord? One more aspect of this Greek word that's translated mind communicates to think through or to imagine. In other words, Jesus adds, love the Lord your God. And I love this. I never thought about Love the Lord your God with your imagination. That's, that's communicated in the word that Jesus uses here. Now, when I realized that this includes also our imagination, I got excited because I've always had a vivid imagination. I, I'm an extrovert, and I grew up out in the country, and there was no boys my age anywhere near me. And so, uh, my kids tell me not to tell you this, but I had imaginary friends when I was little because I was lonely, okay? So, I've always had an imagination. When I was, got into athletics, I mean, I, I won many state championships in the driveway of, of my house. You know, I had a, vi- and oftentimes as I was shooting the winning free throws, I'd miss it, but somebody stepped in the line and lane, and so I got to shoot it again. And so, I won the state championship. You see, I have a vivid imagination. Here's the question for those of you that are much more creative than me. Are you using your imagination and creativity to love the Lord? Do you love the Lord with your mind, your thoughts, your intellect, and even your imagination? And finally, love the Lord your God with all your strength. The word used here in the original language can be translated force, abundance, and power. To love God with all of your strength means to love God with all your might, all your energy, all your talents, all your gifts, all your personal power, all of the resources available to you. Does that describe your love for God? As I thought of this description, I thought back to the term for this message series, the word fusion. Now, I only lasted a couple semesters in engineering school, so I wasn't quite sure when we came up with this title, fusion, what it meant from a scientific point of view. So I had to research this. So if I mess this up, my explanation, I'm sure I've got some engineers that'll pull me aside. So, but or physicists, but, but this idea of fusion is a fascinating thought. In fact, you see on the screen there the difference between fission and fusion. Fission is the scientific process that was utilized in the development of the atomic bomb. You see, there's great power harnessed in the splitting of an atom, one becoming two. On the other hand, fusion is the power of two objects coming together. We've been talking about the church and families coming together. This is the scientific process that went into the hydrogen bomb, which is much more powerful than the atomic bomb. You see, fission, breaking apart, is powerful, but fusion, coming together, is much more powerful. 
What is one of the most powerful things that the church and parents can do for children? I believe it's to value and protect the bond of matrimony and the importance of us having strong marriages in the church. Remember, Jesus taught in in Matthew 19, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. You see, that's fusion. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. You see, because in many ways, fission is an illustration of breaking apart the bond of marriage. Now, I know that some of you have experienced the pain of divorce. And I don't have to tell you the destructive forces that occur when that bond of, that God brought together is broken apart. It's powerfully destructive. And let me say to those who've experienced this, my heart goes out to you. And those who are single parents, I have the utmost respect for you. And I want you to know that you have a church that's willing to come alongside you and support you so that we can impart upon your children the important things of God. And yet for those of you who are married, realize that one of the most powerful things you can do for your children is to be an example of what it means to to work on that which God has designed, the bond of marriage. To reinforce that bond, to lean into that bond, to make sure that nothing will separate you and your love for each other. That's powerful. As a church, we need to value that highly. We need to hold that up and encourage every married couple to continue to grow in their bond with each other. You see, we're told to love God with all of our strength. How are you doing? Are you loving God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength? Here's the truth. I fall short every day of loving God that way. I want to. I pray every day that I can love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but I fall short. And it's in the falling short that I'm reminded that I'm not saved on the strength of my love, that my love is simply a response to a God who first loves. You see, when we understand how much God loves us, This love with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is the only appropriate response. In closing, to prepare us for communion, I wanted to share with you a story I just heard this week. I was listening to a message on on my way back from Indiana, and I thought, that's my closing for this weekend's message. Stories told of of, uh, some of you have heard of, and I've drawn a blank on his name, the guy who wrote, Bob Goff, the guy who wrote Love Speaks or love does, excuse me. Uh, Bob Goff tells a story that I just, I, I, I marvel at his parenting, and I wish that I would have been that smart when my kids were younger. But he tells a story of when his 17-year-old daughter had a car accident. Once he found out she was okay, he handed her some coordinates, and he handed her a shovel, and he said, go find these coordinates and start digging. Now, she just had an accident. I'm curious what she thought she'd find. 
She dug a little while and she found a box. And in the box was a letter that was written before she was born. And she pulled out the letter and it says, honey, I want you to know I forgave you for wrecking the car. I thought, that's cool. I thought about communion. If we dig a little deeper, isn't that what we observe in communion? That we are loved by a God who decided to forgive us before we were even born. You see, God knew that I was going to fall short. He knew you'd fall short. And he says, before you were even born, I sent my son to this earth to die for you so that you could know how much I love you. You see, God's loved us with everything. The question is, are we loving him back with everything? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you. Thank you that you're an awesome God. Thank you for your incredible love. Thank you that you have a love that even before we were born, you knew that we would fall short and that we would need forgiveness. And you provided a means to let us know that that's taken care of. Thank you. Help us during this time of communion to reflect on how you've given your everything to us. Now Jesus gave it all on the cross. Help us examine our hearts to see if we're giving all back to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and 11.15 a.m.